You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. Before we take a look at our Scripture today, I'd like to invite you to stop by our website, which is DesireJesus.com, and on our website you'll find links to our bookstore, links to both of our podcasts, our blog, and a link where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. Each Tuesday, I send out a newsletter with a word of encouragement and some content to help you in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to receive that each week in your inbox, it's free. All you need to do is just sign up on the website, desirejesus.com. You'll see the newsletter tab. Just click it, and we'll be happy to add you to the email list. Now let's take a look at today's scripture. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we started taking a look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, and so we're going to be looking at that again together today. And today we're picking up in chapter 2, the second half of chapter 2. So we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 9. And I'll tell you now, even before we read this scripture together, what we're going to be discussing as we look at this. So I want this question kind of rolling through our minds as we prepare to look at these particular verses. But the question is this, how can we walk in a manner worthy of God? So what does that look like? What does that mean? How could we walk in a manner worthy of God? That's actually a phrase that you'll see brought up in this portion of Scripture. But I think you'll also see a variety of things that are pointing us to what that looks like when someone's actually doing that. So look with me, if you would, First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 9. This is what it states. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for this portion of Your Word that we have the privilege to take a look at together today. And we're grateful, Lord, for the ways in which You choose to bless us. We know, Lord, that we don't deserve Your blessings. We know, Lord, that any good thing that You've given to us has been a gift of Your grace because we deserved the opposite. But Lord, we also know that You change our minds and You change our lives and You make us brand new people. And we could even see as the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Thessalonians in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, how he was encouraging them, as you gave him the words to say, he was encouraging them to walk in a manner that's worthy of this calling that you've placed on our lives. So Lord, we pray that we would reflect your heart in how we respond to one another, 
and how we treat one another and how we live in the midst of this world and how we respond to trials and circumstances that come our way. And that by your grace, we would serve as ambassadors of yours who make your gospel known in just the way in which our words are used and the ways in which our lives are lived. So Lord, we just commit this time now as we look at your word together. We pray that you would just speak to our minds and our hearts and help us to grow in our walk with you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Many people, and you probably even know some people in your life that would fit into this category, but many people talk big. You ever meet somebody that's like a big talker, somebody that just talks big, they always have something big to say, whatever you say, they always try and one-up it, people like that with that kind of personality. But you could tell a lot about somebody, not just by the way they talk, but by how they live. Our lives demonstrate our real convictions. You could tell what somebody actually believes by what they do. I believe something, I believe what people do before I believe what they say. And in scripture, a word that's often used to describe a manner of, the manner of a man's living is the word walk. You have this term that's used, it, it describes a manner of a person's life, their walk. And in our culture, we tend to echo that sentiment as well, because we'll, we'll say things like, all right, you know, that person talks the talk, but do they, walk the walk, right? So we use that phraseology as well. It wasn't just something used during Paul's time. It's also used during our time as well. The way a person lives, we tend to refer to it as walking. I made the mistake, by the way, of looking at hiking shoes recently online. And you know what happens when you look at hiking shoes online? You get a cookie in the memory of your computer that then results in every time you're online, hiking shoe advertisements coming up. And so lately it's been all sorts of hiking shoes and hiking gear that I'm, I'm seeing uh, all the time, tempting me to buy it, but I haven't succumbed just yet. Now, I enjoy living here in Langhorn, but prior to living here, our family lived up in the Poconos. And one of the things that I really enjoyed living uh, about living in the Poconos is that right outside our back door, I was able to walk. Repeatedly, I was able to walk in areas that had no traffic. I was able to just walk right outside and walk. And sometimes, you know, and Andrea and I were talking about this recently. Sometimes I would just go outside, and if I had the time to do it, I would just walk for hours, just for hours. I put some something in my ears so I could listen, and uh, I would just I would just walk and walk and walk, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And in this portion of scripture, again, that term "walk" is being used. Again, it's a manner of living that's being spoken of here, but you have Paul talking about the importance of walking in a manner worthy of God. It's kind of like this big theme that you see in this section here, this idea of walking in a manner worthy of God. So what does that mean? Well, when I hear a statement like that, I think to myself, okay, he's getting to the heart of what it looks like to please God. And when you read through Scripture, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that God is pleased in one way. He's pleased by faith. Faith is what pleases the Lord. He makes that clear all throughout Scripture. See that from the earliest chapters in Genesis all the way throughout. Whatever book of the Scriptures you're in, faith is what pleases the Lord. And in the passage that we're looking at right now, as you have Paul speaking about the manner in which we choose to live he, he's talking about this idea of displaying whether or not your faith is genuine. So he's talking about doing these things, this life that proceeds from a person. He's saying that this is an expression of faith. This is a demonstration of whether or not faith is genuine. 
And when you look at the portion of Scripture we just read together, and we'll take it a segment at a time, but here you have this passage giving us at least four principles that demonstrate what it looks like to actually walk in a manner worthy of God. And so let's highlight each of the principles that Paul speaks about here. The first one that he talks about is this idea of honoring God in both your labor and your conduct. So as an expression of our faith in Jesus Christ, we're called to honor God in both our labor and our conduct. Let me reread verses 9 and 10. They say this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Let's pause there for just a second. Paul did not grow up knowing the people of Thessalonica. These weren't people that he, that he had known for a long time. They weren't his neighbors. They didn't go to school together. He wasn't from their city. They didn't have a long history together. He came to them as a missionary with the intention of preaching the gospel and with the intention of organizing a local church from among those who came to faith in Jesus Christ. But they didn't have a long-standing relationship Prior to that, they met in that context. Now, when you're the new guy in town, when you're the person coming to a city or to a town, and you're new there, the people who have already been there for a while will probably at least initially look at you with either curiosity or with a little bit of suspicion. And I imagine that that's something Paul was mindful of. I think that's something he was aware of. People usually take some time to figure you out. You know, if you've ever been new in a neighborhood, you could probably tell that your neighbors were trying to figure you out. And likewise, when you get new neighbors, what do you tend to do for a little while? You want to know what they're like. I remember when we first moved uh, to our home back in 2008, and, you know, we could tell that neighbors were trying to figure us out. People would stop by and talk, but we know that they were kind of sizing us up a little bit. And we were doing the same exact thing. I remember as my wife would meet different people or I would meet different people in the neighborhood, we would exchange notes basically. So what are they like? You know, Do you think we'll be friends with them? What do you think? And I think Paul was dealing with some of that as well. People take some time to attempt to figure you out. What's your personality like? How do you interact with people you don't know? Uh, in Paul's case, especially since there were so many false teachers that did their thing during that time, you also had people probably wondering, is he here to try and get something from us? You know, is he visiting the city of Thessalonica to try and get something from us? I think Paul was savvy enough to realize that people would be curious about why he came to their city. And so he went out of his way to be mindful of how he conducted himself. Now he did this anyway as the Holy Spirit would lead and direct him. But he was very, he was very forthright about all of this and he was very careful about it. He went out of his way to remain mindful of his actions in the midst of this group of people who were just meeting him for the first time. Scripture reveals to us that he worked hard and that he treated people honorably. He did both of those things. He was a hard worker and he treated people honorably. And this contributed to his reputation among the people of the city. As the people of the city interacted with him, that was what he was becoming known for, for being someone who worked hard, for someone who treated people honorably. In this letter here to the Thessalonian Christians, he, in this, this section that we're starting with today, he calls this activity back to their memory. And he reminds them of the fact that he worked day and night, and what he was doing was he was manufacturing tents so as not to be a burden to them financially. That was his goal. 
you know, he could have come to that city and, and he would have been uh, right in a sense of, of, of uh, you know, demanding to be paid for his labors in ministry, but he chose not to do that. He was founding something here. And at the same time, you know, he's preaching the gospel. He's living in a manner that his actions don't dishonor the name of Christ. He's trying to do both of these things. He's proclaiming the gospel, preaching the gospel, and he wants his, his manner of living to honor the Lord. Now, that's admirable. And that's certainly something that contributed to the founding of the church in that city. But sadly, that is not always the behavior that we see from those who claim to come in Christ's name. Not everybody who claims to come in Christ's name demonstrates that same kind of character or that same kind of heart. I remember when I was in college, I was spending some time, I was actually driving with a pastor who was mentoring me. And uh, we came. Uh, we drove past a church and, and he pointed the building out to me and uh, he said, yeah, that, that used to be a pretty healthy church. And I said, oh, really? I, I said, what's this, the scoop with it now? And he, he, said, he said, yeah, unfortunately... Uh, that church closed. And I said, well, why did it close? And he said, well, there were a series of things, but the essence of it is this. The pastor was always drunk. He would always tell the church that he was sick, and his wife would then try and cover for his responsibilities because he was always sick, but the truth is he was always drunk. And uh, eventually it got to the point where he owed most of the businesses in town money and didn't make good on making those payments. And so that all came back to reflect poorly on the church. And even after that pastor left, that church was never able to get back off the ground again because its, rep, its reputation in that community had been so decimated. And I remember thinking how tragic that is. And you have Paul, as he's trying to found a church in Thessalonica, saying, I don't want any activity of my life or attitude of my heart to somehow bring the gospel into disrepute. I don't want to reflect poorly on Jesus Christ as I live among the people in this city. So if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, one of the things that we're being shown here is this idea of honoring God in both our labor and our conduct. It's an expression of our genuine faith in Christ. Well, Paul goes on to talk about a little bit more about what it means to, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And one of the things he talks about here in verses 11 and 12 is this idea of nurturing the faith of those that you love. Look at what he says there. He says, For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Now let me pause there for just a moment. I asked my son's permission to uh, share this. Actually, I only asked one of their permissions to share it, but I think it'll be okay. Um, we'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, but recently, over the past few months, both of my sons have decided to take a little bit more of an active role in teaching the Scriptures to those that are younger than them. So uh, one of my sons has been teaching the 8- to 10-year-old class once a month in children's church. My other son isn't with us this weekend because... He's at a, at a camp uh, leading devotions and teaching for children that are younger than him. And uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, and I really enjoyed these conversations, is that both of them took some time to sit down with me and ask me, Dad, when you're teaching the Bible, how do you, like, what's the best approach? 
How do you structure a lesson? How do you communicate it? How do you start it? How do you end it? How do you know what to teach about? And so over the past few months, I've had multiple conversations with both of my sons about what it's like to teach the Bible, how to start a lesson, how to, you know, like the content that you want in the middle, how you want to tie it all together. And one of the things that I emphasized to both of them was the fact that you also want to make certain, no matter where you're teaching in Scripture, to show whomever you're teaching how the whole thing is trying to point your heart to Jesus Christ. And I said, if you skip that, you've kind of missed the point of what you've been teaching. And uh, I've enjoyed those conversations, and I was thinking about that a little bit. First of all, I was proud of them that they had an interest in doing that. But I also thought, you know, this week in particular, as I was reading this portion of Scripture in, in preparation for today, again, you have Paul saying here, he's like, look, like a father with his children, we exhorted you and we encouraged you. Like a father with his children, we exhorted and encouraged you and charged you. You know, I'm I'm trying to invest in your life, he's saying. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to challenge you. Paul was not a biological father. He didn't have biological children. But he definitely had the role of being a spiritual parent to a great many people. And we could only guess how many people he had the opportunity to preach the gospel to and to mentor and to encourage in their walk with Christ. And that included these young believers in the city of Thessalonica. And because he loved them with the kind of affection that a father has for a child, he was investing himself. He was investing his time in nurturing their growing faith. He wanted to help them grow in their walk with Christ. And so as he was attempting to stimulate their, their the growth of their faith, he tells us here, as he's speaking to them, but we can see by observation here, that he utilized a threefold approach to nurturing them. Well, what was this threefold approach? Well, he uses three words here. He says he exhorted them, he encouraged them, and he charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. So he exhorted them, he encouraged them, and he charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. Three similar things, but all kind of hitting at the same topic from slightly different angles. This is like, you know, as he's using these words, as he's speaking about exhorting and encouraging and charging, it's to say that he strongly urged them, that he gave them hopeful guidance, and that he emphatically assigned them the responsibility of living out their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, he's doing each of these things. He's, he's strongly urging them. He's giving them hopeful guidance. And he's challenging them with emphasis. He's emphatically uh, charging them, assigning them the, the responsibility of living out their faith in Jesus Christ. This was the kind of investment he was making in the, the lives of the people of Thessalonica. And Paul does this all with a reminder to them that he's, he, he looks at them and he says, listen, you understand that you are partakers in the glory of God and you've been made citizens of heaven through Jesus Christ, citizens of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, your Savior. He's trying to help them to see themselves from God's eyes as he's encouraging them in their young faith. That had to be a joyful task. There was a lot of garbage that Paul dealt with when he was trying to proclaim the Gospel. A lot of difficult things that came his way. But then you have moments like this, where you have a group of people willing to listen and willing to hear and desirous of growing. And Paul's pouring into their faith. I imagine he was thoroughly encouraged in the process of doing this. He's reminding them of who they are in God's kingdom and as members of God's kingdom. 
They weren't to be enslaved to worldly passions any longer. They were to glorify the Lord who had lifted them up and made them His own. And so you have Paul actively nurturing their faith. And if we're people who are also trying to walk in a manner worthy of God, what's the Scripture inferring that we would also do? Well, part of our part of living out our faith is that when the Lord gives us the opportunity to influence someone positively, that we do that for the glory of God. That we would nurture the faith of those that we love. Whether it be your biological children or other people that the Lord's placed in your life that you have the opportunity to pour the Gospel into, that you would nurture their faith. That you would encourage them. That you would exhort them. That you would challenge them or charge them. And Paul was seeking to do that out of love. Something else that we could see that if we're trying to be people who walk in a manner worthy of God that this Scripture demonstrates is that we would receive the teachings of God's Word eagerly. Look at what it tells us in verse 13. There it says this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God which is at work in you believers. Does anyone here listen to podcasts throughout the course of the week? That's becoming more and more common. A few years ago, if you asked people if they listen to podcasts, they might look at you and say, wait, what's a podcast? Or they might, sometimes people would say things to me like, um, I've heard of that, but where is it? Like, how do you get podcasts? Now, I think more and more people are realizing how easy they are to access and it used to be that there were thousands of shows. Now I think it's probably hundreds of thousands of shows that you could download and listen to. So throughout the course of the week, it's become one of my favorite things. I feel bad for radio because I use radio less and less and less. Some of you are like, I don't feel bad for radio, right? It's all commercials anyway, right? Um, but I used to work in radio, so I feel a little bad, like I'm betraying a past profession, but I really, really enjoy listening to podcasts. So I was listening to a podcast the other day. It's a new podcast, and it's hosted by someone that I knew growing up. And at this point, he's become a media celebrity up in northeast Pennsylvania. And so the local news station has created a podcast that he hosts. And it's a very interesting podcast. He, uh, he interviews people. He talks about their life and, and kind of what, what led them into their uh, media profession. He's mostly interviewing people at the local ABC affiliate. And, and it's interesting to me to hear um, some of the questions that he asks well, the other day he had a local Catholic priest on as the person that he was interviewing. And I had heard of this priest, and uh, so he was talking to him about a, a variety of things. And then he confessed to this priest. So I don't know if people just think when you're hanging out with the priest, if you just need to confess stuff to them. Um, but he felt he needed to confess to him. He said, i got to confess something to you. And I'm laughing. I'm like, oh, what's he going to say? What has he, got? he said, you know what I, I tend to do sometimes when I'm at my home parish? And the priest said, uh-oh, what? <laughs> and he said, sometimes when the pastor's preaching or when my priest is preaching, it's like, I'm like looking at my phone, I'm, I'm like Googling stuff and all that. He's like, can I just admit to you, like his messages are really, really boring. That's what he said. I'm like, people are hearing this, you know? I hope his priest doesn't listen to that podcast, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and the priest he's interviewing is also trying to like not disrespect his colleague. He's like, oh boy, that's... That's really awkward, you know. <laughs> that's really that's really a shame that you feel that way. But I thought about it was kind of a funny segment of the interview, but I was thinking about that because I think it's tragic in one sense that this man I know doesn't seem all that interested in, you know, scriptural teaching or, or preaching things of that nature. 
And I also think it's tragic that the proclamation of it is so boring that it can't hold somebody's attention. I think both of those are errors, don't you? I don't think the Word of God should be preached in such a way that it seems dull and not applicable. I think that's a huge mistake, and it's a very missed opportunity. The Word of God is treated so dully or just so carelessly that it wouldn't be preached with enthusiasm, that people would just look at it and just be bored to tears. I always say, you notice, I, I never put anything in, um, in our bulletin about, you know, please silence your cell phones or don't look at your cell phone. Sometimes when I see people looking at their cell phone, which isn't too often, I gotta give you credit, I don't see that too often. And I always assume you have a Bible app anyway, if you're doing that. I'm always giving you the benefit of the doubt. But I have it in the back of my mind. It's like, alright, if somebody's doing that, that means you need to step up your game, because you gotta be able to compete against that cell phone and win today. That's really the pep talk I give to myself. It's like, you gotta beat that cell phone. You gotta win right now. You're competing against that cell phone. You gotta win, right? Pastor pep talks, okay? These are, you know, this is how we keep ourselves motivated. Um, but I think, I think, like, both aspects would be a shame. To preach the gospel in such a, or preach the scriptures in such a dull way that people just aren't even listening. Or to receive the teaching of God's word in such a disinterested way that it's like, eh, whatever. Both are such a shame. And I was thinking about that as I was listening to that conversation the other day. And then you look at what the Scripture happens to say here. It tells us that that's not how the Thessalonians received the teaching of God's Word. Paul makes it clear that these believers, they're young, they're enthusiastic, and they receive the Word of God enthusiastically. They receive the Word of God readily. They readily accepted its divine origin. Now what kind of difference does it make in a person's life if they receive the Word of God that way? You know, what, like, what difference does it make how you receive the teaching of Scripture. I'm not sure which way is the better way to phrase that. But what difference does it make you know, if, if we choose to welcome the teaching of Scripture into our lives or if we choose to ignore it or be disinterested or even just reject it? I think it makes a huge difference. Let me suggest five ways that I think being eager, like the Thessalonians were, to receive the Scriptures, the teaching of Scripture, the difference that it will make in your life, if you receive the Word of God eagerly. And there's probably more that could be added to this list, but here's five things that I think will absolutely be the case in someone's life if they receive the Word of God eagerly, like Paul indicates that the Thessalonians did. I think, first of all, you'll experience more peace because you'll develop confidence in God's sovereignty as you read about His activity throughout history. You'll read about the things that God does and you'll start to just develop a confidence in Him. It's like, wait, I've read about Him doing this before. I've read about a similar situation. I've read about how He operated in this generation. God doesn't change. Why would He not operate that way in our generation? And so you develop a confidence in God's control and God's sovereignty, which gives you a peace about things because you realize, I don't have to control this stuff. God's got it under control. And I can trust that He's got everything under His control. The second thing that I think happens if you receive the Word of God eagerly is that you'll be much less likely to be deceived by the false promises of this world, the passions of your heart, or the schemes of Satan. Because the Bible exposes them. I think one of the reasons that many people fall prey to some of those schemes is because they are unfamiliar with the Word of God. The Word of God exposes the schemes of Satan. The Word of God exposes the passions of our heart and the temptations of this world. 
But if we're ignorant of what the Word of God is telling us about, we'll find ourselves jumping right into these things, even though we were forewarned. Oh, I'm competing. Whose phone am I competing against? Come on! Let's bring it! Alright, <clears throat> let me... i got to limber up. i got to limber up. Somehow I feel like you did that to me on purpose. Alright, that's good timing. But I really do believe we will be less likely to be deceived by even our own passions or the, our worldly promises or the schemes of Satan if we make ourselves aware of what Scripture says because those schemes are exposed in Scripture. They're brought to the light for our benefit. A third thing, I think, is that practically speaking, you'll just make much better life choices and have a lot less regrets. The wisdom of God is found on those pages. And you'll just make much better life decisions and have far fewer regrets if you eagerly receive the teaching of the Word of God. You'll go through your life recognizing, okay, God spared me from an error that I would have made if I was unaware of this information. You'll make much better decisions. A fourth thing I think is this. You'll come to realize that Christ is the solution for everything you need. No matter where you are in Scripture, it's all trying to point your heart to Jesus, your Messiah, your Savior, your Lord. And if you become acquainted with the teaching of Scripture and you receive it eagerly, you're going to realize that Jesus is the solution for everything you need. And that's not an exaggeration to use the word everything. A fifth thing is this. If you become acquainted with the teaching of God's Word and receive it eagerly, you will discover the key to lasting joy and hope that's not dependent on circumstances. Most people that you and I know in this world think about hope and joy in very circumstantial ways. If they're having a good day, if they're having a good week, if they're having a good month, if they're having a good year, if things are going fine in their family, things are going fine at work, if their friendships and relationships all seem strong and great, then everything's fine. But if any of that dips, it's like their hope starts to waver and their joy dissipates. And then you read the Scriptures, and Scripture tells us that in Christ we have been given the key to lasting joy. The key to a hope that doesn't dissipate. And when Scripture makes you acquainted with that truth, you start to see your circumstances very, very differently. And the Thessalonian believers, they received the Word of God eagerly. And that fact bore powerful fruit in their lives. It was a testimony that was known of them far and wide. Our lives will also bear the fruit of how we're receiving the Word of God. If we're receiving the Word of God with eagerness, your life is going to benefit. And it's going to bear the fruit of how you receive the teaching of God's Word. And it's part of what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of God. It's part of what it looks like to express our faith that way. If we have genuine faith in the Lord, we're going to believe what He said. We're going to believe what He's revealed. We're going to desire to apply it to our lives and learn more of it. One last thing that He brings up in the Scripture that we're looking at today, and this is where we'll finish today, and that's this. If we're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, we'll find ourselves willing to suffer for the cause of Christ willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Look at verse 14 down to verse 16. He says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind. 
by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. You know, I think it's easy to forget just how difficult life has been for Christians throughout history when our lives are being lived with relative ease. I think it's very easy for me to forget, probably easy for you to forget as well. When you look at what took place historically, you have Jesus and the prophets killed. right? And you have the Apostle Paul referencing this here. You have early Christians persecuted severely. You have Christians in Jerusalem experiencing things like banishment or imprisonment or death. Uh, you have Paul frequently beaten and imprisoned and then eventually executed. And at the time of writing here, it, it appears from what Paul's saying that the Thessalonians were also receiving some harsh treatment because of their faith in Christ as well. So they were starting to experience what it looked like to, to experience opposition when you believe in Jesus Christ. And as Paul illustrates through what was taking place at that time, there are people in every generation who are going to do their best to try and hinder the message of the gospel from being proclaimed. It happens in every generation. They may have different motives for doing that. They may take different approaches to doing that. But their end goal is still the same. To oppose the proclamation of the Gospel. The goal is to prevent people or to discourage people from coming to faith in Christ. To discourage people from experiencing the gift of salvation through Christ to uh, stop people from having their lives changed by Christ. But thankfully, and again we see this in Scripture as it reveals it to us, no scheme of Satan and no effort of man will ultimately prevent the Gospel from reaching every corner of this earth. Scripture tells us that that will absolutely happen. Scripture, or the Gospel specifically, is going to reach every corner of this earth. And Satan and the schemes of man will not stop it from being proclaimed. Now, it is not my preference to suffer. I don't like suffering. I doubt that you consider suffering a preference as well. But again, don't forget the example of the believers who came before us if you're ever called to suffer for the cause of Christ. Their willingness to endure persecution, it displayed the genuineness of their faith. Their willingness to endure persecution uh, has resulted in the Gospel traveling over great distances, over land, over oceans, and eventually reaching the ears of our ancestors, reaching your ears, reaching my ears, where we are when we consider that the Gospel was proclaimed on the other side of the world first, and now here we are joyfully proclaiming it and reminding one another of it this morning. That's a wonderful thing, and I'm grateful for it, but consider the price that was paid for our ears to be able to hear this. The sacrifice Christ made, and the sacrifices that believers who came before us made, because they had a fidelity to the Gospel that wasn't going to be changed even in the midst of suffering or persecution. I'm grateful for the precedent that they set for us, and this is something Paul's talking about here. And while I'm sure this group of people would have preferred not to have to suffer, they also looked at their lives and they said, if this is what the Lord has ordained for me to do, I'm willing to do it because I know what's true. I have a hope that can't be diminished by a down day. I have joy that is not dependent on my circumstances. My hope and my joy are anchored in Jesus Christ. 
So with the example of Christ and the early believers who worshipped Him fresh in our minds, you know, we're about to approach a new week here, so this is all fresh in our minds. The calling that we're given in this portion of Scripture is the same that Paul was giving to the Thessalonians. To walk in a manner worthy of God. As an expression of our faith, to walk in a manner worthy of God. Honoring Him in our labor and our conduct. Nurturing the faith of others. Receiving His Word eagerly. And remaining willing to suffer for the cause of Christ if that's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and for the privilege that it is to be able to to look at it and read it together today. And Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you look at a portion of Scripture like this and understand more about Your nature and understand more about Your heart. We know, Lord, that by nature we struggle with all sorts of things. We know that it's very easy for us to adopt a manner of living or to adopt a walk that is more in line with the preferences of this world than the teaching of Your Word. But Lord, as, as Paul challenged the Thessalonian believers, we're also being challenged as an expression of our genuine faith in Your Son, Jesus Christ, to walk in a manner worthy of God. To walk in a manner that displays that we are confident of the fact that You have made us part of Your kingdom. You've made us part of Your family. Lord, You have drawn us unto Yourself. You've made us brand new. You've given us Your strength. You've given us Your power. You've given us hope and joy. We're grateful for these things, and we pray, Lord, that these would be truths that are firmly planted in our minds and in our hearts. And that as we approach each day, even as we approach this new week, that we would utilize these truths as we seek to grow in our walk with You. Help us to be people who eagerly receive the teaching of Your Word. And by Your grace, we pray that we would live it out as You empower us to do so. Thank You again, Lord, for the blessing of being able to look at Your Word together today. And we commit ourselves to Your care and pray this all in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. And if you're not on our newsletter list, be sure to click the link to sign up right there on the front page of the website. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. In a world where relationships are easily broken and often discarded, the Rebuilding Us Marriage Podcast is your lighthouse, guiding the way to hope, restoration, and transformation in Christ. I'm your host and marriage coach, Dana Shea. Join me as we discuss the necessary tools for rebuilding marriages from adversity, betrayal, and disconnection. It's time to reignite love as we rebuild marriages from the ground up. Listen to the Rebuilding Us Marriage podcast on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.